Okay, I think we're ready to begin now. Uh, we're going to be studying out of John's Gospel, Chapter 4. Uh, I thought I'd begin this morning by making mention of somebody that uh, I have uh, brought our school students' attention to numbers of times over the years. There was, a, <clears throat> there was a man at East Carolina University as a philosophy professor that had quite an influence on my life. Um, and this morning, I, I got to thinking about him again. And over all of these years since I've been at that school, which I guess the date would go back to about 1970, 69 or 70, something like that. Uh, so that's quite a while ago. Uh, and I, I lost track of him after he left East Carolina. He went out to Montana. And he and I became pretty close friends while I was a student in the philosophy department at East Carolina University. And I used to go over to his home and sit and talk with him for hours. And I was somewhat amazed to discover, and I know that some of you have heard these things before, so please forgive me for repeating myself, but there are always people here that haven't heard. and. I think it's worth it sometimes to reflect on some of these moments in our life for the benefit of others that may think about it. But I would go over to his house and we would sit and talk about many things and I discovered that he was, uh, before becoming a professor at East Carolina, he was a pastor in a Baptist church and that was very interesting to me at that time in my life because I had been brought up in the Southern Baptist Church. And so I thought it was going to be something that would bring us even closer together. But as I sat there and talked with this guy, and I'm telling you, he, he, was, he was just a great personality, just very, very friendly person just outgoing and you were drawn to him he just had that kind of personality and um, he told me one day sitting there alone in his kitchen in his home he said Dwight he said there are things that you do not know about me he said but I was a Baptist pastor for a number of years and he said, I've preached from God's word. He said, I've had dozens and dozens of people to come forward in meetings after hearing messages that I've preached with tears running down their cheeks. Uh, and I would baptize them and so forth. And he said, I did that. And I believe he said for about six years, he was pastor in that church. And... Um, 
He said, I finally got to the point that I could not do it anymore. And so I was sitting there as a, a young man uh, trying to find my own way in life. And I'd been brought up highly influenced by the Southern Baptist uh, teaching and the Bible, the King James Bible. And I found myself sitting there talking to a man who was a leader in the Baptist church. And he said, I finally came to a point, he said, I couldn't do it anymore. And I said, why? He said, because I just didn't believe it. I didn't believe it. And he said, I was bringing people to something that I myself didn't even believe. He said, I had a, a conflict with the narrowness, the narrowness of the Bible and the movement, the Christian movement. And, and, and he just considered it to be unloving. And so when you reject the Bible, there isn't but one thing left that you can put in its place. And that's yourself and what you think. Now, I think that this beginning of this message for today is critically important because you're hearing from me things that took me quite a, a journey to begin to understand myself. And, um, and as a young person trying to find my way, uh, uh, he was a real crossroads in my life in terms of what I would end up eventually doing. But I didn't realize that I was sitting there uh, highly influenced by a person who had rejected uh, this book. And it would be years before I would really learn that in doing that, there was only one thing that you could put in the place of it, and that is yourself and your way of thinking and your way of loving people. <laughs> what else can you do? Because when you come, to the, come down to it, to the very end of the whole issue of human existence, it's not just what other people think or what other people do. It's what you think and what you do. And, and so I guess for a long time in my life, the Lord has drawn me to this kind of thinking. And I'm so glad that he has. And the reason is because one of these days I'm going to come down to the end of everything myself. 
And as a lot of older people say, when they get to be my age, we're sort of in the short rows. That's something that's meaningful to farmers. Because when you plant a big field, usually you have shorter rows over in the edges where it's not so square. And uh, you usually start your work in the field in the long rows. And at the end of the day, you come to the short rows. And I'm sort of coming down to the short rows of what life is all about. And something I was beginning to say in a previous message, and I didn't realize it until I, I thought about it when I got home, but a lot of times I get off on these sort of rabbit trail ideas, and I don't speak from notes a lot. I like to just uh, stand up here and teach you things that I know that are in my mind and in my heart. But a few years ago, I was riding down Pennsylvania Avenue, and this is what I, I didn't finish developing the other week. And I was noticing Bowles Funeral Home as you're headed down toward US 1 Highway on Pennsylvania Avenue. You got the police station and the fire station, and you got Bowles Funeral Home. And I was riding by there, and the thought came to my mind that if I died that day, I could very easily be in that funeral home. My body would be in that funeral home. And within about three days, which is about typical, there would be a funeral and somebody would put you in the ground. And when you come to that time, you're going to be either a person that has rejected God's thoughts and what he says right here in this book. Or you're going to die with your thoughts. With the way you think life is and the way you think it ought to be lived. And there is nothing in between. It's one or the other. But what I have learned in my journey is this. We do not know a thing about how to live. And I don't care how long you live, you won't know any more about it when you're old than you were when you were born. Apart from God very important addition apart from God. And the other thing that we have no knowledge about whatsoever is death and hell. We know nothing about it whatsoever. We know nothing about life and how to live. And we know nothing about death and what follows. Absolutely nothing. And so... If you do what this man right here did, Dr. Ray Lanfear, I just happened to 
get stirred up thinking about this again this morning, and I decided one more time I'm going to try to look on the Internet and see if I can find him, find out what in the world's happened, if he's still alive. I didn't know. And lo and behold, I finally found it. And one of the reasons it took me so long to find him is because I never knew uh, his first name. And his first name was Jimmy. Uh, and so it was J. Ray Landfear. He always went by Ray Landfear. And so I'd always type in Dr. Ray Landfear. And so once I found out, by looking at the faculty at Montana in the philosophy department, I found out that there was a J. Ray Lanfear that was a professor there. Well, Ray Lanfear did his best to talk me into going with him because my last year at East Carolina University, um, I was finishing up my degree in philosophy, and he wanted me to go out there with him and work on my doctorate in philosophy. And uh, he was all excited about Montana and how wonderful it was going to be to get out there finally to a place that he so much wanted to go. And, uh, and so the Lord was working on me during that period of time, unbeknownst to him, to Dr. Lanfear, the Lord was working on me. And I had written a paper on the subject of metaphysics in a philosophy class I had to take. And uh, in that class, my metaphysical approach was not evolution, it was creation. And so I, had, I tried to develop some thoughts along that line. And it got me in a lot of trouble with Dr. John Cozy, who was chairman of the Department of Philosophy. And Dr. Cozy was a little guy, a very smart guy, he was a musician, had a background in music and philosophy. But I walked in the door. I had been summoned to come to the uh, head of the department, the, the philosophy department, Dr. John Cozy. And I, I didn't know what in the world for. And he told me, he said, uh, read your paper here that you've written and I will never forget as long as I live his words to me. He took that paper and he slammed it down on his desk and he said, this is not acceptable. And he said, my suggestion to you is this, shape up or ship out. And here I am, just a, a young person. I've never said anything ugly to him. I never talked to him. Never had, really. And I come in there and I find out 
that when it comes to this book right here and what it teaches, um, he had no place for it. Now, I'm going to tell you something, folks. In the course of our life, the Lord is trying to pull us his way, which is a narrow way. It's very narrow. It sure is, just like Dr. Ray Lanfear figured out. <laughs> it's a narrow way. But there's something else on the other side pulling you a different direction. And it's Satan and your own free will. Those two things. Satan and your own free will. And I didn't know this during those days that I had a nature that was satanic. I did not know that. I should have because I loved the world and the things that were in the world. Lust of flesh, lust of the eye, and pride of life. And my whole life was about me and what I wanted. It sure was. My whole life. And I think to a great extent, I was beginning to learn that that's what everybody else's life was like too. Very self-centered, very selfish. Now you start crossing somebody else in terms of how they think and, and their way of life that they're going. And you, you start getting in the way of it, you'll find out real quick how important a person's personal way of thinking is and personal way of living, and they don't want anybody getting in the way of it, including God. I did not know how to articulate what I'm telling you this morning some 50 uh, years ago and more. I didn't know how to articulate these thoughts. But the Lord was putting me on a path to learn And I didn't realize that I was so hard-headed in my nature to think the way the world thought, which was John Cozy and Dr. Ray Lanfear. I didn't know that it was, it was so powerful that God would have to allow me to go my way until I was at my wit's end. And didn't know what to do. Absolutely helpless and hopeless. When it came to living this life and eventually facing death. And I've never felt so all alone in all my life. It was during that period of time, and I am so thankful that it happened. So all alone. And the reason is because of things that I would later learn in, like, 1 Kings chapter 3, 
where Solomon said, I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or to come in. Now, I want you to think about that statement. Solomon was a young man, and he made the statement to God. He said, I do not know how to go out or to come in. Now, I want you to think about a little child. But I want you to think about a child that's about this high, about this high. I want you to think about how a parent feels when their little child goes missing. They find the front door open. They look out in the yard. They got a little picket fence out there and they got a little gate on it and it's open. And just a little ways away is a highway and a fish pond and woods. And here's a little child that's gone missing. What does that child know about going out? He has no clue what's out there. And when he goes out there and goes just so far and he turns around and he's somewhere in the woods, he doesn't know how to come back in. Folks, let me tell you something. When you read 1 Kings chapter 3, you need to think about these thoughts right here. Because this is God's summary thought that he wants us to live with every day of our life, even when you're 79 years old. I don't know any more about how to go out or to come in today without the Lord than I did day one. Folks, I have learned that I do not know how to live. And you may think coming here at Calvary, to Calvary Memorial Church and now you got some years behind you and so forth, you know a little something about life. Let me tell you something. Out the door, apart from God, our Father, we are one thought away from as much disaster as that little child. You believe that? I do. I sure do. I don't care how old you are. If you live to be 100, you're one thought away from being so lost, so all alone. We don't know anything about life. And that's why we need to learn that it's in him that we live and move and have our being. And as our father, he is able to give us the understanding that we need to make right decisions every day right decisions, critically important decisions. I'm telling you, every time we come to a crossroads, the Lord is there and the devil is there and the free will is there. And if we make a wrong decision, 
it can be disastrous. It certainly can. And so what I've learned is the need to get up every day and go to my Father every day. Never miss it every day. And remind him for your sake about these things. Not for his sake, because he already knows. But you need to verbalize it to him as a means of proof to yourself that you know what you're talking about and you're serious about it. And you want to make sure that he goes with you and that he will be in you. In other words, you're going to receive his word as your word, his thoughts as your thoughts, and his way as your way, and you're going to prove it by keeping his commandments. And you need to do that every day. Now, when you go down Pennsylvania Avenue and you pass by Bowles Funeral Home, I want you to remember this one, too. What do you know about death? No more than you know about life. Not a thing. We haven't gotten there yet. We've never experienced that. And so when it comes to what we know apart from God about death, it's nothing. We know nothing about it. What do we know about resurrection? What do we know about how to get out of the box? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. But what I've discovered in reading this book is he knows all about life. And this whole book is designed to teach us how to live according to his thoughts and his ways. That's the whole purpose of the Bible. It's about life. And that right choices according to his word always is predestinated to lead to blessing. And if you disobey his word and live life according to your th thoughts, like Ray Lanfear did, then it's predestinated. You will not have ever an expected end. I found out that Dr. Ray Lanfear passed away in 2015. He was born in 1932 in Texas. He lived a grand total of 83 years. I mailed him a book a couple of years after coming here to this church, an M.R. DeHaan book. I don't remember exactly which one it was right now. I've probably got it in my office and probably even have it addressed to Dr. Ray Lanfear because I, I sent it to him and I signed, put his name in it and I signed it as a gift to him. 
Within just a few days, I got it back with a very short note. That note may still be in the book. I don't know. I haven't looked for the book, and I haven't looked for the note in quite a while, but I kept it. And it's, I'm sure it's in my office somewhere. But I just about memorized the response. He said something like, Dwight, as you may recall, I journeyed down this road and found it to be quite unsatisfactory. I am certain that I will not read the book, and so I am returning it, Dr. Ray Landfear. That's almost verbatim the note. I've often thought about him so many times. I've often thought about education, going off to college to get education. And you know, when I made that decision that I was done with school, I en ended up going as far as getting a master's degree and I, I gave it up, quit. I would later begin to realize that where you get an education, if you want one, that's going to mean something. You'll find it in Luke chapter 10, I think it is, Luke chapter 10. Because it's in that passage that you find Mary sitting at the feet of the creator God hearing his word. Let me tell you something, folks. If you want an education, you get up early. Put this book in your lap. And you study it. You don't read it. You study this book. And think about Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. The devil had come out to tempt Jesus Christ, the creator of God, the author of all knowledge and wisdom and understanding. And he did not succumb to the temptation in the slightest. And in that passage, three times he references the scripture. And he said, it is written. It is written. It is written. And he told Satan, he said, man shall not live by bread alone. Matthew 4 and verse 4. But by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. I believe that with all my soul. I believe that's true. I sure do. With all my soul, I believe it. Because you see... When you come to the last day of your life, 
If you don't believe that, you're on your own with what you know. And I can tell you what you know. I don't care if you've got a PhD in philosophy. If you go out on your own, you do not have an expected end. A very unexpected end. But I'll tell you, the greatest insult you could ever launch toward heaven is the idea that we know more than God. And that our way is better than his. Jesus Christ said, I am the resurrection and the life. Ray Lanfear could not say that. He was not the resurrection and the life for me, and I was going to die one day. And I don't care how many people you ever accumulate that agree with how you think in the course of life. If every one of them are gathered around your grave, they cannot raise you from the dead. And it doesn't matter if there were thousands of people that applauded you and you would go down in history as one of the most famous people that ever graced the face of the earth. I don't care how famous you are. I don't care what you do, how much money you make, how much education, college degrees you ever earn. If you're on your own without Christ, it will soon be realized that you knew nothing and could do nothing, just like the Lord Jesus said, without me. John's Gospel, chapter 15 and verse 5, without me ye can do nothing, absolutely nothing. John's Gospel, chapter 4, is a precious chapter to me. I love John's Gospel. I don't know how many times I have spent studying over John's gospel, but it's been many times, many hours of just meditating upon every word, every word. It's not a good thing to just read the Bible. Not when you run across verses like Matthew 4 and verse 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. I didn't used to understand how important that was, that statement. But my manner of Bible study has been for years because of the influences um, the teaching in this church has been on me. The importance of getting alone, away from everybody else. It's not enough, folks, to come to church and sit in these classes. 
to hear a preaching service. That's not enough. Because you're going to die alone. Not by yourself. The question is, what do you know alone? Forget everybody else you've ever known. All the other influences that are out there. When it comes right down to it, it's you and God Almighty. That's it. You and God Almighty. And you are not the judge, and neither am I. He is. And what we think our relationship to him is, is meaningless. It's what he knows your relationship to him is. That is the bottom line. It's top down, not bottom up. It's his faith, not your faith toward him. It's the faith of God and the promise of God to you if you put your faith and belief in his faith and his precious promises. Then you can have an expected end. Apart from that, you can forget it. You're on your own. When we're out here witnessing to people, we need to understand that we have nothing to offer anyone if it's from us. You can't witness yourself to other people. Because we don't know how to live or how to answer people's questions or how to die or to tell them what to expect. If our thoughts are just ours. Being a witness for Jesus Christ is teaching people his thoughts and his ways and how they can have an expected end if they will receive that as the only hope there is, because it is. It absolutely is. So one of the reasons I love John's Gospel, Chapter 4, and many others when I'm there, is because of something we looked at the last time we were here. In John's Gospel, there are ten musts, ten of them. And I don't want to go over all of them, but listen, you must be born again. The Son of Man must be lifted up. He must increase. I must decrease. And it goes on and on. You can look them up yourself. These are musts in our life. And I thank God by his mercy and grace, he allowed me to come to the end of myself so that I could discover these things, these musts. These musts.
in um, John chapter 12, verse 34, it says, The Son of Man must be lifted up. In John chapter 20 and verse 9, the last must in John's gospel says, For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. He must rise again from the dead. Lord wants us to think about that must. Why? Why is that so important to think about? Because it was God's proof to us that if he died as us in our place, he would rise again from the dead as us in many respects we would be as he was in resurrection. That's why the resurrection from the dead and what the Bible teaches is so critically important. If Christ was not risen, then our faith is in vain and we have no answer to give anyone about what happens to you after you die. Most people think it's all over. But that's not true. Now, if Jesus Christ had the power to raise himself from the dead, now listen to this carefully because this is in the value of every word. When Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Okay, if you receive him before you die, and Christ is in you, then guess what? That life that he has given you is going to be raised from the dead in you. That same life in you. To be holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. That's the significance of it. This is a must-believe statement. He had to be lifted up. He had to be lifted up. But he must rise again from the dead. He had to. Because that was our life. That was going to be raised up. That's when you're actually born the second time. It's from the dead. That's the second birth. If a person doesn't understand that this was what he was actually teaching Nicodemus in the third chapter. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. If, if we do not understand that this was ultimately what he was talking about. Nicodemus was going to die, but he was going to be born from the dead because the creator was going to recreate him right out of the ground. He's going to recreate him from the dead. 
the same way he created Adam, out of the ground. Can he do it? Folks, the most important comparison when it comes to this thought is Adam being created by God out of the dust of the ground. Why does the Lord say that in Genesis? Because that's how we end up, back in the dust. Dust to dust, earth to earth. We return to the ground, to the dirt. We dissolve away into virtual non-existence as far as the world is concerned. But God, who created Adam out of the dirt, can recreate us out of the dirt to be the same person that we were the first time, but without sin. Folks, this is what the Bible teaches. And there was a woman in Samaria that had no clue. She'd been living her whole life with her thoughts her way. And she was a, 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 a harlot. That's what she was. A harlot. Very sinful person. And the Lord thought enough of her. Now listen to this. The Lord thought enough of her that he would go down there. And he develops this contrast which she brings to his attention. The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Well, that's just to remind us, why in the world would God have anything to do with you and me? Well, the psalmist David said, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Well, that's what's all over the top of uh, John chapter 4. Why in the world would the Lord go down there to Samaria? Here was a woman who was so unholy. But why did he go down there? Because he was going to make her holy. Unblameable and unreprovable in his, his sight. In his sight. That's the only sight that matters in life. You know what other people think. It's what God thinks. That's the only thing that matters when life is over. It's what God thinks. And he must needs go down to Samaria. And here was a woman who didn't know a thing in the world about worship, like so many people in churches today. They worship, they know not what. That's what John chapter 4 says. The Lord Jesus is talking to that woman. He says, you worship, you know not what. You don't know God. And here was God that had come to her. And I'm sure that when it came to her private thoughts about her relationship with God, she secretly had no assurance of anything. And it may be that there's somebody out here listening in the world today to this message today who thinks, I'm beyond hope. God doesn't know me. He doesn't, he doesn't care about me. I'm too bad to ever get saved. That's not true. I'm here to tell you, when this guy right here got saved, anybody can get saved. Anybody. 
I know what it's like to be a monster of iniquity. I sure do. Because God took the candle of my spirit and lit it up with his spirit and showed me what was in here. And everything I saw was absolutely devastating. And I saw myself as a horrible human being because I am one horrible human being. One of the passages that used to trouble me quite a bit was Paul when he said, I'm the chief of sinners. I had a problem with that because I felt like when the Lord lit the candle of my spirit and showed me what was in my heart that it was true about me. That I was the chief of sinners. And what I continue to see to this day causes me to continually come back into his presence and say, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Who in the world am I that you would give me the time of day? And here I am alive another day. Why would you spend time with me? Well, the Lord wants us to understand we have nothing that we can give him. Nothing. And that's why the Lord told that woman, said, if you knew who it was that was talking to you, you would have asked of me for water. And I would have given you living water. If you knew who you're talking to. Well, I'm here to tell you that we've got a book right here that God wrote, and he is talking to us today. And he means it when he says it. If you knew who it was talking to you in this word, in this book. You wouldn't be offering me water. You'd be asking water from me if you knew who you're talking to. And I would give you living water. I'd give you eternal life. Now, this brings us to what this chapter is really all about. If you look at the fourth chapter, we got time to look at just this part. Let's look at the fourth chapter. Let's look at verse 21. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. Now we need to think about these things. Do we know what we worship? Folks, it isn't a denomination. It's a person. Verse 23, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit 
and in truth. Now slow down on that verse and think about it. What does that mean to worship him in spirit and in truth? Well, I'll tell you, the spirit is the innermost self. That's what it is, the innermost self. That's where the candle of the Lord is, is the spirit of man. And God will put his Holy Spirit in there, the oil of his Holy Spirit, in that little tiny candle. And he'll cause it to shine so that you can see what's in there. And what you will see is a deceitful heart that's deceitful above all things. Desperately wicked. Desperately wicked. You'll understand for the first time Mark chapter 7. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, lasciviousness, and all those things that it talks about. And you'll see it, because he'll show it to you. And he's wanting this woman to see those things. And that's why he said... Uh, before I give you this living water, I want you to see something. I want you to go get your husband and bring him here. And she said, I have no husband. That's called honesty. I don't have a husband. She was beginning to see herself as she was. She was a whore. That's what she was. She was a whore. Living a complete immoral life. That's what she was. But the Lord loved her. Now think about it. The Lord loved that woman. Enough to stop everything else that he was doing and go down there to Samaria for one person. And he'll do that for you. And he did it for me. He did that. He'll leave all these other sheep and go and look for that one lost sheep. He sure will. We're that special to him. And he found this woman. But he had to give her the bad news from heaven first. And that was that she was on her way to hell. And could not be saved. Unless she was holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight, not hers or anybody else's, in his. Well, how do you get that? It's very simple. It's the gift of God. He has to give it to you. It's the only way you can get it. Is the gift of God. The whole issue of salvation is do we believe that he tells the truth or is he a liar? Let me tell you something, folks. Anybody that would come to this church and hear the teaching that's in this church out of this book and not accept that Jesus Christ told the truth when he said that he would save you and give salvation to you as a free gift. You're talking about a slap in the face of God Almighty. 
it's a wonderful thing to realize what we deserve. We deserve to go to hell. But a marvelous thing is to think that he would look at us, deserving of hell, and give us eternal life. By doing what Abraham did, he believed God. And it was counted unto him for righteousness. Folks, I would hate to be somebody like this, Ray Lanthier, who at 83 years old died. And I don't know, he may have gotten saved. I have no idea. But the reason I bring this example up to you is can you imagine the tragedy of living 83 years and not receiving the gift when eternal life was a gift of God. None of works. There was nothing you had to do but believe. That's it. Just believe. But genuine believing would change your life forever as it did this woman. And we'll look into that some more next week. Our time is gone. Let's, uh, let's pray. Bill, would you just mess his brother? Yeah.